Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Welcome to the Perpetual Traffic podcast. This is your co-host, Kasim Aslam. And today, we're going to be doing a what's working now in the realm of Google Ads. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about the six critical campaigns for success in Google Ads. And joining me on this endeavor is my business partner, the chief strategist for Solutions 8, John Morant. John, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited too. I want, to, I want to maybe offer something of a preface to our listeners. We're going to get tactical, but we're also going to get technical. And where I want to protect everybody from themselves is you don't necessarily have to know all the nuances of Google Ads to benefit from this information. What we're doing here, let's say you're a CMO and you're like, I don't run Google Ads. The benefit that I think this content is going to be to you is it gives you the opportunity to help, I don't want to say police, but we'll say oversee or, you know, help, help manage the people that are running these campaigns for you. So, you know, be that an in-house employee, a vendor. And then if you're an agency or, or somebody managing campaigns, then I'm hoping we're actually going to give you information that you can really take and, and, and run with. John, how did I do there? Anything you'd add to that? No, I think it's great. What's nice is for, for everyone listening, this is these strategies that we usually put together to have a very all-encompassing campaign. Now, it doesn't mean that each one of these campaigns are going to work for you specifically, but it might work for another listener that tries it. So these are the ones that you want to cover and test thoroughly to make sure that you're covering all aspects of traffic or your business. Yeah. So Google ads has never been a one size fits all construct ever. So what we're going to do here is we're going to cover the six, we'll call them the core campaigns. This is, this is Pareto's 80, 20, right? So these are the, the 20% of the campaign types that are going to do 80% of the work. Some of them will apply, some of them won't. But talk to me about that just briefly for the six campaign types. And I'm going to name them off now so our listeners know what they're getting into. We're going to cover a general campaign, brand campaign, competitor campaign, DSA campaign, remarketing campaign, and display campaign. That was six. Yep. Who does this apply to and who doesn't it apply to? This applies to almost everybody. It, it applies to e-commerce. It applies to local businesses. It applies to lead generation. There's a couple of campaigns like local and smart shopping that would apply to only a brick and mortar location or someone that's running strictly, you know, e-commerce, but these will, these six will cover every business, whether you do have a brick and mortar or you are e-commerce or you do have a lead generation company that runs nationwide. These, these six are the ones that you will absolutely want to test. Awesome. So we already have an episode on smart shopping. It was actually the very first episode I was ever on for perpetual traffic. So I'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes, which, you know, incidentally, you can always go to perpetualtraffic.com if you want to check out previous episodes, episode information, show notes, et cetera. And for the local campaign, we're going to put that on a shelf, but maybe we'll cover that in our next What's Working Now. Sounds great. That works. 
Awesome. And, and, you know, for our listeners, we want this to be a recurring series. We want to be able to come to you with what's working inside of Google. We have almost 200 clients now in the Google ecosystem. We've learned quite a bit, most of it through uh, trial and error and, and, you know, various amounts of, of failing forward. And we want to share those learning lessons with you. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So the six campaign types again, general campaign, brand campaign, competitor campaign, DSA, which is dynamic search ads, correct? <laughs> Remarketing campaign and display campaign. Let's start with general. John, how do, you, how do you define a general campaign? What is it? How do you build it? What are the best practices? Yeah, so general campaign is going to be on the search network. So this is where you'd be bidding on keywords and those keywords are going to be focused on cold traffic specifically. And what I mean by that is people going to Google, looking for your type of product or your type of service. They're not looking for your brand name. They're not looking for, you know, other, other competitors in the industry. We'll cover that later, but this is going to be keywords that, you know, dentist near me as example, or, you know, purchase, uh, running shoes or, you know, those type of keywords that people are going to Google it's inbound. So it is people looking for what you have to offer, but it is strictly cold. They have no idea who you are, never met you before. So that's what the general campaign is. You want to just kind of dive right into kind of setting everything up? I want to put a safeguard on that for just a minute, because a lot of times when you hear cold traffic, businesses tend to think of cold traffic as not ready to buy, mm -hmm. right? There's no commercial intent. And I think they think that way because really because of Facebook outbound display traditional advertising, mm -hmm. cold traffic in most people's mind, or at least the, the way that I've, I've seen it sort of internalized and contextualized is it's cold. This is interesting because they're cold to you, but they're warm to a solution. They're a bottom of the right cold, cold traffic. That's a really good way to put that. These are people that are ready to buy. This is high commercial intent. It is assume, assuming you're, you're choosing the right key phrases. They just don't know about you yet. So the traffic tends to be the most expensive traffic available, right? And mm -hmm. in, in, on the cold traffic spectrum, but also the most likely to convert if you can put the right offer in front of them. Yeah. 
Exactly. And then to kind of reduce it down to the ridiculous, if someone says best, most reviewed local dentist near me and you're in one mile radius, they're cool to you, but they are looking for exactly who you are. They're ready to come <laughs> into a dentist and they'll probably come in today if you have a slot. Open. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a really good example. So going back to who this is for, which might be something that I harp on on a regular basis, because I want to make sure we're hitting all of our listeners. You mentioned dentists. I think it's a great example. You know, local businesses, dentists, lawyers, doctors, attorneys, accountants, but it's also e-com, SaaS. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's across the board, right? It's anybody who would go to Google looking for not just a solution, but also, but also a way to solve a problem. And those are two different things. Dentist near me is a solution I'm looking for, but toothache is a problem that I want solved. And those are both potentially commercial intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it could be even if you have an online e-commerce or someone, if you are in Florida and you have someone in Seattle looking for blue light blocking glasses, that's a keyword you're bidding on. They know exactly, I mean, buy blue light blocking glasses online. That's Perfect. It's cold traffic. It's really far away from you, but they're looking for you. So yeah, exactly. And that's, that, that comes down to just being able to choose the correct keywords, having the intent of those keywords be placed on there. Things like buy top, you know, most reviewed local near me, those things. But yeah. So that's a good transition. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Like what, what are the, what are the, the strategies and the best practices for building a good general campaign? Yep. So in the general campaign, and you can actually have a few general campaigns. Don't be afraid to do more than one campaign of the same campaign type. But if you wanted to have Let's, let's say I like to use examples so you can understand how applicable it is. It just is, I'm a visual learner, so I usually like to use an example. But if you were selling, let's just say office supplies and whether it's brick or e-commerce, whatever it may be, and you have a campaign for you know, keyboards, that could be a general campaign for keyboards. People that are saying, you know, buy keyboards online, purchase keyboards, best keyboards, most reviewed keyboards, best mechanical keyboards. You can have all of those keywords segmented by what they call an ad group inside of that keyboard general campaign. And those ad groups are talking about different attributes or different search terms that would make sure that the ad is very relevant to them. So it's almost like where the term SCAG came from, single keyword ad groups. It's not as, as you know, hardcore, but you can come up with different themes inside of that campaign to respond to the way that people are searching for your product or service. So if we had three different ad groups, one could be mechanical keyboard, one could be ergonomic keyboard, and one could be, you know, silent keyboard, you know, people that, you know, type in and obviously they want it to be loud. And you can have that one campaign say, okay, this is my keyboard campaign with all my ad groups and keywords. And then you can have another campaign with, you know, computer mouse. That could be another whole campaign. And so people looking for, you know, computer mouse or computer mice and, you know, smoothest and with track wheel, blah, 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 all of the different ways that you would want to have a different campaign, but your general campaign, the reason why you'd break them out and would have it inside of one just large campaign is because in Google ads specifically, you can only spend budget from a campaign level. I can't say spend more money on this specific ad group or, or less money on that ad group, less ad spend. But you can break out the campaign performance based on how much money you want to spend. So if you have a campaign, let's say your mouse campaign is far out performing your keyword campaign, you can simply just put in more money into the, the mouse campaign and start to start to control how you're scaling and for what specific products that you're selling or what type of service you're offering. If you're again, I'll just use the same example just for continuity. If you're that dentist office and you have cleaning all on four, you have figure orthodontia braces, but you also have a dental. You know, you can break these out into specific themes and then control what type of, you know, lead or, or conversion or sale that you want based on just adding or subtracting more aspect from that campaign. I want to take a, just a, a different approach there, because what you defined as a proactive approach to 
budget management. So, you know, I've, I'm selling these di- different dental services and I'm breaking up by campaign so I can attribute my spend accordingly. The, the reason that I think that that's also important isn't so that you can proactively assign budget. It's also so that you can be appropriately reactive. And that was a really annoying way to say this, but here's what I'm getting at is if you have all of your dental services in the same campaign and one service ends up being more popular than the rest of them, it's going to steal all the budget. Mm-hmm. So you might find that cleaning is the most popular service, has the most searches, and you're getting all these clicks for cleaning, but all on four or dental implants make you way more money. You know, cleaning is $90 when somebody comes in and a dental implant is 50 grand. So being able to split those out by separate campaigns, make sure that you can allocate, allocate dedicated budget to your highest value campaign types. Yep. You can actually, it's almost like a wish list. It's like, what kind of customer or what kind of lead do you want to generate? And how often do you want that to take place? Because that's that's exactly how you can break those out. Awesome. So we've got our general campaign. You've defined your keywords. And how deep do we want to dive into keyword structure here, John? Do you want to talk about like, you know, uh, match types, size of ad groups, those types of things? I'll give you a good guideline. So let's say for e-commerce specifically, a general campaign, most often you want what they, we call a broad keyword. So it's three types of keyword match types you can use. Broad, phrase, exact. Now for e-commerce, specifically lead quality isn't really a factor in e-commerce. It's binary. Did they or did they not purchase your product? So what's nice about that is using broad keywords. You lean on Google's algorithm and a smart bidding strategy such as target row as a target CPA or maximize conversions or maximize conversion value. Those four, those four bidding strategies. And regardless of how relevant or irrelevant believe that search term may be, find those users by matching what they're searching for broadly related to what you have to offer and offers them kind of content pivots. If you think about the, the way in which people search for something and how they find their broad keywords. If someone's looking for, you know, I am, you know, looking for glasses that help with headaches. So like. Now, all of a sudden, blue light blockers, your ad shows because you had blue light blocking glasses and Google understands that that's what that is for. So Broad Match is a very smart algorithmic way of allowing your product, specifically the e-commerce, to be shown to a user based on how similar their searches are and what they've been searching before. For lead generation, I find that manual bidding and phrase and exact most often work the best just because you're going to have the ability to control the lead quality based on how high up you need to be on the page and for what specific keyword. You're going to have some keywords that are be more valuable to you, like, you know, dental near me rather than dentist office, you know, dental, dental office near me, it's going to be a little bit more probably urgent. So you want to pay a little more, get a better, higher placement. And you'll probably see that you're going to have better lead quality being higher up because you're one of the first ones to be considered. You know, the joke is like the best place to hide a dead body is on the second page of Google. That's kind of the, the old saying. And that's, that's, that's true of lead generation. You want to be out, you want to be high up enough on the page to be first considered. And that's where I believe phrase match and exact match and manual bidding come into play with equality. So I want to beat you up a little bit on broad match. Yeah. Because we have some people listening to this that have been running Google ads for years and they hate broad match with the passion of a thousand fires because Google is so, did I. so expansive with, yeah, <laughs> well, well, we all did, right? I mean, 18 months ago. Broad match was suicide. It was, hey, Google, bring me anything that the cat drags in and I'm willing to pay for whatever you want. And it was abysmal. Now, Google has since rolled out with broad match and smart bidding. Google has been able to create something that I think is the closest thing to AI humanity's experienced publicly in finding out who's buying for you. But traditional advertisers, if you're listening to this and you've run Google ads before and you've been burned by broad match before, we just lost you. And I know we did because when people started talking to me about broad match in the very beginning, they lost me. I was like, there's no way this is going to work. So convince us, like, how can you, 
possibly say that broad match and smart bidding could bring in anything other than just disaster? Challenge accepted. So November 16th, 2020 was when everything changed. So if you've been running broad match before November 16th, 2020, I feel your pain. It was terrible. Google had this encyclopedia from like 1936. That's like, Ooh, chariot equals car. Like that must be the same thing. And like now, now Google has gotten so, so much more advanced that it actually, the keywords are no longer keyword related. It's actually not keywords in broad match. It's actually audiences that Google has tied to those keywords. So if you ever been running Google ads, think of like DSK, so like display search keywords. So basically Google says, okay, someone that has been actually looking for, you know, a perch swing would actually match for the keyword, broad keyword of by hammock. And because Google says those two are closely related enough that this person has, or has not been looking at different port swings, chairs, hammocks, sofas, you know, all of these other ways. They've been looking at a bunch of different ads. They've been going to a bunch of places. This person actually has been looking more like they've been interested in hammocks. And so we're going to show your ad to see if we can earn a click. And if we do, then we're going to start to find more people like that and sale. So it's almost basically saying that it's not necessarily a keyword. The keyword isn't even related to the search that they're doing. It just says this is the topical category that we have for this audience. And with target CPA bidding or man, uh, maximum tar target return aspect bidding, we understand who in this large audience is our 10% of the people that actually would be interested in the product that I know you have for sale based on all of the other users who look like that person. So it's much better than just like, well, that, you know, the foot and and are broadly related because they're both parts of body. Like they don't, they go way past that now. I don't need It used to be how broad match worked. Oh, yeah. It was that bad. I think your chariot to car analogy is helpful, by the way. It's probably true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've seen some, and we still see some expansions in broad match that are a little funky, but Google, Google's getting good at narrowing down on what works and what doesn't. And so academically, here's what I think Google did. Google has been able to reverse engineer intent through semantic architecture by figuring out what words people are using, even if they're not words that you would think to bid on, Google's been able to identify who's willing to take what action and use that to make you money. And we've seen this work for how many accounts? We've got 200 some odd clients we're running Google ads for. How many of them are using broad match and smart bidding? We only had, I think, three accounts that we've tried this on. I think we tried for about 60 accounts that it did not work with. And the Say that again. We only had three accounts out of 60 that this failed on. Correct. And with this, now that's, is that e-commerce specific or is that full spectrum? No, that's e-commerce specific. It actually doesn't okay. do very well on lead generation, which is why I made the, made the asterisk in the beginning. I probably wouldn't run this because yeah. if you're a podiatrist, it might be like, hey, it's like, oh, that's part of the body and they need a dump. <laughs> you know, that's closely enough related. Now, with the end, that's what's funny is the areas that we see this fail are hyper, hyper, hyper specific lead generation, mm -hmm. hyper specific e-commerce. So what I mean by that is we had a client that did text message marketing only for churches, only looking to acquire new donations. So anything text related was just off the table because I was like, well, it was text messaging related and it was growing business with text message, but we were getting searches for like text marketing companies and basically going up against Twilio and Entreport and HubSpot and every CRM. And yeah, yeah, there's no way. No. So if you, but if you have something where it's an established industry that, you know, people are currently buying very, very, very good chance it's going to work. Well, dude, that's, that's something we should talk about for a minute because I, you know, the, the nightmare client to me in the Google ads realm, at least for inbound is the client that's invented something nobody knows about. Oh, and, yeah. and a, God bless those people because they usually have amazing products. But when somebody comes in and they're like, oh, we have this new thing. It's going to revolutionize the industry. Nobody's ever heard of it. 
And, and you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, then nobody's searching for it and I have nothing to do. I mean, we can run YouTube, we can run outbound display, we can do an awareness building campaign, but if they're not searching for you, Google is probably not the best tool on the tool belt. It was the market size. Let's say 340 million. Okay. What if you had to pay per click for each one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's your threshold for pain here? Okay, we've got we've, we're we're kind of building a, a little bit of a decision tree. E-commerce in a general campaign, broad match and smart bidding, and define smart bidding real quick. Can you do that in a soundbite? Uh, leaning on Google to acquire the business target you're looking to achieve quickly. And those bid types are target CPA, target ROAS, so target cost per acquisition, target CPA, target return on ad spend. Which is actually, I'm so sorry for confusing it, just like a week ago, they changed it to maximize conversion value with a target return on spend and maximize conversions with or without a targeted cost per acquisition. So they're kind of now orbiting strategies that have turned into two. Thank you, Google. Uh, just confuse everyone else even more. So like the, uh, the target cost per acquisition just means, hey, Google, I need you to give me as many converts as possible, but I only want to pay $15 for my convert. That's what target CP is. And then on the flip side, you say, hey, Google, I need you to make me a thousand percent return on ad spend, but you're only allowed to spend enough money to get me that thousand. If you ever start to go below that 1000% return on ad spend, you can't spend any more money. And so there's a, probably a, there's a whole other whole other segment, but there's two different types of campaign bidding strategies. One that calls an expansion category. One is a restricted category. The restricted category means you're only allowed to spend enough money to hit my goal. That's target CPA, target ROAS. The expansion one is maximize conversion value and maximize convergence. Just spend whatever you want to get me the most amount of money or give me the most amount of leads. And so that's a good way to think about it. Okay. So e-com is broad match, smart bidding. Lead gen is exact and phrase match with manual. Most often, yeah, manual would be good. Unless you have just a really awesome in-demand service that a ton of people locally are searching for very, very frequently. And that way you can say, yeah, you know, Push away half that traffic. I only want to pay for the ones that are going to convert less than $15 a lead. Got it. So we've got our keywords figured out. We have our bid strategy figured out. What's next? For general, that's, I would say that that's probably as deep as we can go just from an, from an audio perspective. I think we we'll probably move on to some other campaign types. Okay. So you built out the general campaign. Before we move on real quick, talk to me just a little bit about optimization. And I think this is going to be cross campaign applicable, but you're running it on a day-to-day -day basis, what are you looking for? How do you optimize? How do you spot check? How do you know it's working? And how long does it take before you decide this is either a winner or a loser? Yeah, absolutely. So for automated bidding strategies, if you're using broad as example, and whether you choose to do it for e-commerce or lead gen, doesn't matter. But if you're running broad campaigns, uh, with broad keywords, I should say, the first thing that you want to look at is start to be very hyper-specific about what is winning what's not, even if it looks relevant. But what I mean by that is your keywords and your search terms. So you might start with, let's say 25 keywords and 10 are winning and 15 are losing. Even the 15 may look more relevant and applicable to your service offering or your, 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 your product. If they don't have as good as results as the other 10, even if they are more relevant, turn them off. The reason being is that Google is basically saying, Hey, the audience of people that I know for these keywords are not converting that well. And the other ones that may be looking a little bit less relevant are actually converting really well. So when you turn off those 15, you reallocate the 15 uh, keywords into those 10, which allowed those 10 to then obviously get essentially double the amount of, of activity, but also get better and faster and stronger as it does. So it's like one plus one equals three. You're taking 10 broad keywords, making them, giving them 150% more ad spend, and they're already above that goal. So you're just going to make a very large optimization there. Now, you're going to do that first though on maximize conversions. 
maximize conversion value. You don't start the campaign with TCPA, which is target cost per acquisition or, or a target reference. You want to start them really wide open, let them learn, let them grow and let them identify and test and, and find good and bad. And you're going to let them go for at least 30 to 45 days. And then once you start to slowly sliver off all the keywords that are not working and you start to get more and more activity and now it's running really well, then you turn on target CPA and you give it a wish list. You know, thank you for my 500 conversions, but I'd rather pay for four conversions that are half that price and it will do that. And you have to give that about another month before you start to see that start to optimize. That's high level in a nutshell, how to manage fraud. For phrase match, exact match, I highly, highly, highly recommend using a CRM tool of some sort. The CRM tool is actually going to be able to take inbound leads and you're going to send UTM parameters along with that. That is simply just the campaign ad group keyword and ad that brought that user to your CRM tool. So what that means is that if you have an ad, someone clicks on it, go to your website, they fill out a form, Inside of your CRM, it'll say, you know, Kasim Aslav with this phone number, this email, converted on this page. He came from this campaign, this actor, this keyword, sad. And as you sales team dispositions those leads as good or bad, you're finding common denominators on the CRM side that, wow, these five, you know, leads all come from, came from this one or two keywords. And even though I have a bunch of leads that came in, these five or these 10 there's a common denominator here that all my good quality keywords are coming from, or good quality leads are coming from a specific keyword or a specific campaign. Then you go back into your campaign, just your ad account via multiple campaigns, and you start to spend less on the phantom conversions, more on the conversions that are quality, even if they are at a higher cost for acquisition. Because you're going to want to say, I know that when someone Googles this keyword, I can get a good conversion that's a quality conversion at a good cost for acquisition and a good conversion rate. I'm going to spend more money and maybe even get a little aggressive, have a higher placement so that I'm first be considered more often in that lead generation campaign. But for lead generation, definitely use a zero tool, definitely pass the UTM parameters, identify the quality ones, find the common denominators, and then optimize appropriately. So this is why the reason this is so important is because marketing and sales tend to be two separate departments that don't talk. And the marketing KPI is generally something like cost per lead. We're getting super cheap, you know, four or five, ten dollar leads. Anytime I hear that, that terrifies me. I'm like, well, then that means they're crap, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how cheap I got my produce for. I would, and it's a carcinogen now. Um, so you want your sales team to tell you these are the good leads, these are the bad leads. And generally speaking, and stop me if I'm being an idiot here, the better leads are gonna be more expensive. You don't want the lowest cost per lead, you want the highest quality lead at the lowest price. Those are two very different studies. Yeah. And what's funny too is like if, if, if you think about it, the reason why cost per clicks are expensive in an area is probably because you and now 10 other people have found out that that's the place to go. <laughs> like those are, those are expensive for a reason. When you do find like the two, $3 leads and then three months later, like, oh yeah, they actually never went any further in their customer journey with me. Like they got interest and they downloaded the lead magnet. And then never heard, they never opened my email ever again. So, you know, or they bought, but they didn't ascend, or they did, you know, the, the lifetime customer value wasn't high, or they didn't retain, those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got our general campaign. We have the optimization for the general campaign, which, by the way, this was a master class in 15 minutes <laughs> on how to run one campaign. So if you have to listen to this a couple of times, you totally understand. Let's move on to brands. So you're running your general campaign. Why would you run a brand campaign? Why would I pay for traffic I'm already going to get, John? I'm already going to get that traffic they're looking for me. Jeez. Yeah, really, really. Just firing on a little yell. <laughs> I'm asking you the questions that we get asked all the time because I know how annoying it is. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's uh, it, it, a lot of times I'm right there with you. I'm like, I know you don't want to. It's horrible and it sucks and I don't want to do it either, but we have to. And here's the reason why. 
first thing you're going to find out is that it's going to protect your brand. Uh, you, as you start to grow in your industry and as you start to become competitive with, with your competitors, as redundant as that sounds, people are actually going to start to bid on your branding. And that happens all the time. I, I, I could, I challenge anybody that's currently running a brand campaign to look at the auction insights and see who's bidding on that keyword. What you're going to find is that as soon as you become kind of annoying to your competition, they start saying, well, okay, fine. Anybody that's looking for your brand team, I'm going to bid on that as a keyword. And then I'm going to now be above your, above your organic listing. And unfortunately with Google, the first four spots of Google's search and results page are dedicated to the ads. You're never going to have to swallow up the entire above the fold. Oh, yeah. Try finding an organic listing that's above the fold now. It's near impossible. You get like the logo in the search bar. Then you have all the shopping ads. And then you have the four ads. And then you have like the feature products. And then you have the map ads. And then you have the first organic. Well, and after the maps now, they have the snippets and the, the carousels and the expansions. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's just going. And, and Google knows what they're doing. I mean, of course, they're, they're, those are all the pain and click spots. And so those are where Google's, it, it's, you, know, you have to pay to be there now. So if you are halfway to three quarters of the way down the page of your brand name and imagine that people are you know, clicking on the first four listings more often than not, you're going to lose all of your people that are looking to buy from you or look hire you to your competitors because, say, oh, well, I was looking for this company, but that company, they look good. Well, let's just call them or let's just buy from them. And I have the same product and, you know, I don't remember it's one or two dollars more expensive or less competitive or less expensive because I just started research you know, a week ago. That looks good. Looks everything, and they have a really nice website. Now, buy. The problem is, though, you're not going to be able to measure the amount of customers or money you lost from your competitors by not running a brand campaign. You'll never know. It. Mm, you're just flying blind, and you're going to spend a whole bunch of money on YouTube, at display, at Facebook, at Instagram, at TikTok, at organic, and and email marketing, all to get everybody ready to buy, and then they buy for your competitor. So let's say, just for the sake of argument, because I want to be super annoying, let's say that no competitor is going to bid on my brand. Amazon will for whatever reason. Yeah, Amazon will. <laughs> but there are more reasons to bid on your brand campaign than just to protect your brand, right? Like you want to control the narrative. Well, that's you also want the data. Like Google, if people convert organically, Google's not provided provision doesn't give you the conversion path. Yep. And the other part is too is you're not going to identify inside of Google Ads ecosystem exactly where they may have come from originally. If, right, which means you can't optimize your campaigns. You might have a campaign that's catalyzing a bunch of purchases. But they come in through your brand, you don't even realize it, so you go shut off that campaign. Yeah, and I only bring up this reason because it's not the necessarily the right way to track conversions, but it's just it seems to be more of the normal. More often than not, I would say 80% of the time when we take on a customer account, they are using analytics in quotations of their conversion actions into Google. That means that Google Analytics records a transaction, then they send it right into Google Ads and say, here's what happened. The problem, though, is Google Analytics is the same day, same attributed network. What that means is that if you have the first click on your Google ad and they go to the website and they leave and then they Google your brand name and click on an organic listing and they convert Google Analytics says, where did that person come from? They came from organic. Okay. So it wasn't from ads. No. All right. So don't send any conversions into Google ads. And so what happens is they Googled your brand name and then they purchased off your website. Google ads says, well, I didn't get a conversion. That other conversion that came today was what organic. So if you're not running a brand campaign, then what happens is they can't Google your brand name and come back and you will get what they call a top conversion path, or you won't be able to see the customer journey that they're going through. You know, they saw this YouTube ad, they clicked on that display, they Googled uh, a search word, then they Googled the search word again, then they, then they Googled their brand name and then they converted. Each one of those steps is really important. So if you, by the way, y'all, nobody searches, clicks and buys, nobody. Mm -hmm. That's not the buyer's journey. 
it's 31 impressions before it's 31 touch points before somebody's ready to buy. Mm-hmm. So those are all the ads, all the remarketing ads, search ads, you know, email outreach. Gosh, God forgive me for saying, but even traditional advertising, you need to be hitting people in a multifaceted way. And your brand campaign is what helps make sure that you're there at the very end. That's the finish line campaign. And the, I mean, it's the cheapest clicks you're going to get outside of remarketing, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say that probably actually cheaper than remarketing too. I mean, if Bill is being under brand name at least. Yeah. All right. And the, the other rules apply. Uh, just yep. Smart. Okay, cool. So let's move on. We've got our general campaign one. We've got our brand campaign. Let's campaign two. do competitor now. All right. Competitor. Yep. All I reason why, because everything that you applied in general and everything you applied in the brand, you could apply into competitor with some caveats. So what a competitive campaign is, is you actually bidding on your competitor's keyword. That's fact is, is if they're not running ads, you automatically place yourself above them when everybody's looking for So you. all the stuff that we just <laughs> that we're guarding against in the brand, we're going to go do in the competitor case. Exactly. You're like, those have people bidding in your brand name. Next, we're going to show you how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to protect ourselves from evil and then become the evil. Exactly. And so what's nice about the competitive campaign is, here's, here's a pro tip, though. And I, I just want to you know, so you're not bidding on just Solutions 8 as an example. Um, Wait, no, don't ever bid on Solutions 8. That's our brand name, John. What are you doing? So if you don't, yeah, I'll use Acme. That's perfect. I'm just ignore everything you just heard. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I was on screen, it just Jedi mind trick all the listeners right now, but it's not going to work. So with, so with Acme Corporation, Acme lets things spells and goes. So you don't, let's just go back to Wiley Coyote days here. And so if you're bidding on Acme, don't bid on Acme. Bid on Acme Anvils. The reason being is if someone is looking for a URL of a site or they're looking for the brand name, if they don't Google what also that brand name is about, when they're just looking for the uh, brand, if they're already a customer. Or yeah, you don't want somebody who's trying to log in or check their invoice or find the phone number or the address. You want people that are trying to buy. Yeah, exactly. So if you're bidding on, you know, uh, let's say Wayfair as an example, Wayfair desks, you're not looking for the customer service number to call them back to figure out where you're shipping. You're looking for desks that sold by Wayfair, but you also look at desks sold by someone else. So Google whatever, bid on the key phrases of whatever the company is, but also what overlaps with yours. And that's really important too, because your competitors may not be what they call one-to-one competitor. You may sell five things. Your competitor may sell the other, the same five things, but also 48 other things. And if you're bidding on the competitor's name, they might be getting people who are searching for your competitor, but also looking for a product or service that you don't offer. Yeah, the 43 other things that don't overlap. Exactly. And you also want to go after other commercial intent tags, right? So if somebody says Wayfair reviews or promo codes, anything that lets you know, like, oh, they're about to buy from them, I might want to get in front of them. Yeah, exactly. Like best desks on Wayfair, you know, whatever it may be. Again, they'll go for the top sellers. All of those things that are intentful searches that are saying this person is actually looking to do something, not just not, or, you know, looking to do something that I want them to take that action with me, not necessarily just call them and say, hey, where's my... But again, everything, and what I would say is run maximize clicks that is actually Ooh. it is it is i know i think google probably just shut down my account right now because of people like me to say that no i think google likes that you just said that like oh we're gonna make some money they just heard ching what's yeah. funny is maximize clicks is actually much different than like maximize conversions maximize conversion says how much can i overspend to make sure that i can get everything i possibly can get when you're bidding on and make sure that 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 you're the keywords you're bidding on is phrase exact, but start with maximize clicks. What that will do is actually work from the bottom up. And because competitive campaigns are very expensive because you naturally have a horrible quality score, which means Google's like, hey, you're not that person. Why are you bidding on that? And you say, well, yeah, but I'm very much like 
like them. So when I'll pay to play, so you could pay a little bit more to get your ass to show. Use maximize clicks. And this is just not for like the, not, not the, you know, the super Google ad user. It's the safe, but majority of listeners here is so use maximize clicks. It'll start with penny bids and they'll slowly work their way up until you start to get some sort of, some sort of result impressions and clicks that will be appropriate. And then you're going to find out what you can spend per click in order to get a good enough placement for people who are looking at multiple brands, like your competitors, yours and other competitors to find out when they can find yours. But I, I recommend, I recommend maximize clicks because manual CPC, you can spend like 12, 15, $18 per click when you have a formal keyword, even manual quality score. And you actually put up what you needed to spend $3 to get a good quality score, but you're not going to because you're not Wayfair. As quick aside, just out of curiosity, I want your opinion. Do you think manual CPC is going to go away? I do. I, unfortunately, yeah. I really do. Uh, what are we going to do? What, like, what, what option do we have? We're just going to start doing portfolio bidding strategies. I'm going to maximize conversions with a bid gap. Yeah. Okay. So that, which is kind of manual in a way ish. Yeah. It's like yep. setting up and setting a little, like a, a leash on it. It's like, hey, yeah, I want everything that you need, want to give me, but just don't go crazy. Yeah. That's so funny. Hey, it's Kasim here, and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. And... He believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is, that's way too long for me to remember, I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA Content have a new service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox and all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now, these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BK is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. All right, so we've got general brand competitor, and, and the construct of competitor is the same that we've been talking about mm-hmm. with, you know, keyword structure, but type cool. So those are the three campaigns that we have built. Let's move on to number four, DSA. DSA, think of this like instantaneous SEO. It stands for dynamic search ads. Long story short, Google is going to scan your website, all of the pages you tell it to scan, and mash you with the keywords and phrases that are found on that 
page with what people are searching for in Google and then automatically builds you an ad stands description. You actually have to create your description, but it'll build the headlines. But it writes the headlines, which is insane. Yeah. It writes the headlines and they perform and they outperform the stuff that we write. It's a great. Yeah. They're really, really. That's so scary. Now, that is straight up Skynet. Well, what's funny is that's why we have good ad, right? Our ad copywriters. Like, I am a horrible ad copywriter. If I wrote ad copy, would be like, come on, just buy. Wait, wait. Like, that'd be my head. <laughs> Give me money. No, like, trust me, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be my headlines. Oh, it's, but yeah, the, the headlines are sometimes way close to that, but they work. Uh, it's amazing. And so DSA is, is really cool because if you have very little experience, this is actually, I would say our second most powerful campaign in the world. DSA. Second to what? Second what? For the, to smart shopping. Second to smart shopping in lead gen, or sorry, in e-commerce. Yeah. And second to general in, it outperforms competitor, it out, outperforms in a long time, performs display. Like it's, it's, it's the second most powerful campaign. What if you don't have robust ad, ad, or not ad copy? What if you don't have robust page, co- page copy? Like if your website's content sparse, does DSA work? It does just not very well. And well, no, I, I would say it does, and it can work actually really well. One of our clients right now has like 500 words on their homepage, and it gets 30% conversion rates with DSA or for phone calls and form fills, like specifically. Yeah, but they're super niche, aren't they? They are. But that's the thing is like, you had to know if you're right. What if about it? <laughs> yeah. But what's nice is like, now here's the, the limiting factor though. You will get all of the searches that you need for that 500. You will get. You know, the other thousand different ways that they're searching for exactly that product, you will get all the five better that you're looking for. So what it means is that your content can be very clean, very clear, very crisp, and you're going to get very clean, clear, crisp search terms and your campaigns are going to perform well, but you might only spend hundred dollars mm. because you're not allowing. The more expensive your page copy can be, the more expensive your campaign is going to be. Bingo. Now, what will DSA steal from general? It will. All of these campaigns will actually steal from each other. So one good good way to do this is to take all of your campaign keywords and exclude them from the other campaigns. So exclude your brand from your general and your DSA and your better. Exclude all of your competitors from your brand, your DSA and your general. Exclude all your generals from your DSA, competitors, and brand. So you see, I call that keyword sculpting. Yay. And keywords, that's really campaign sculpting. Is it? it is. Like keyword sculpting is more in, in the ad group. Yeah. It's like, no one ad group can't share the other ad group. This one's like, this is, this is like theme sculpting. I just made up a new term, theme sculpting, right? That's going to be me calling one day. It's going to be themes right here. So it's just theme sculpting. Like you don't want to have your competitor overlap in your general because especially if you're going pure broad, we have a pure broad keyword that gets competitive searches just because Google knows so much about the ecosystem that says, oh, you're selling this thing. Why well, those seven competitors in the area of marketing that also sell that? And I'm going to give you their their searches. Like, is it sad how much Google goes? That's another reason why I think pure broad works is like, before, you'd never have a branded or even a competitive search term for a broad keyword. Didn't happen. Now it will because Google's actually reading your website while they're trying to get yeah, We actually have a, a competitor that knows us that emailed John and said, hey, why are, why are you trying to steal our customers? Yeah. Because we were betting on Google Ads generic as a term and Google started delivering their brand. Yeah. And I was like, we're not trying to have Google just knows you also brought Google Ads and so they're just giving it an our campaign. And they know we're better. That's they can see both campaigns. I'm just saying. So, general brand competitor DSA. Those are the four. Let's move on. Number anything else to say about DSA? We move on to number five. No, I think that's good. Let's move on to number five. So we have limited time, and I want to make sure we get through get through each one of these. Number five, remarketing. Remarketing. Here is what remarketing. 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 If you're from Boston, remarketing. If you're from anywhere else, Ralph's from Boston. What's that? Ralph's from Boston. There you go. Remarketing. That's perfect. Remarketing. Now he knows what we're talking about. 
Yeah. <laughs> so remarketing is simply put, run this campaign to all of the users who come to your site. I would say, depending upon what you're marketing on what channels, regardless of source. So if you're running, you know, like Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be. If all of those are pretty good quality networks for you, run for them. People can't see your face, but I can. When you say the word Facebook, like you, you sort of like, yeah. Yeah. It's I, like got a, just ate something. I got a bad, yeah. I got a bad taste. When you're really marketing, it's, uh, it's going to be good to exclude all of your converters. And I mean, what I mean by that is you don't want to show an ad to a person that went to your website, something or went to a website, fell in a form or gave you a phone call, exclude all of your converters. What's you, can I, can I offer that guy? I want to offer a pro tip. Yeah. I know what you're saying that I agree with it, but I think that if you want to get like wicked ninja with remarketing, create a separate audience of your converters, start sending them remarketing ads of like case studies and testimonials, assuming the audience is large enough and you can actually, because what's going to happen is you're going to reinforce the purchase decision and you can do really cool things with remarketing in, in, you know, confines like that. Yep. And you, the, the only bad thing is you're going to need at least hundred match users in any audience you yep, create. So you have to have enough yep. conversions to make it make sense. Absolutely. Totally understand. Yep. But sorry, keep but going. No, you exclude converters as a general rule. And, it, and let's say we want to get into some ninja stuff. I would go into your Google analytics, create a new audience in your analytics, link up analytics to your Google ads account and create a remarketing audience of people who have not converted, who have been on the site than 10 seconds or have visited, you know, X amount of pages pre-qualify them and at least remove the bouncers. So you don't want to mark to everybody that got to the website immediately. You have to say, hey, you had to have been here at least 15 seconds and viewed more than two pages. That could be one audience. All the people that added I have the cart did buy be a different audience. You all the people went to my pricing page. Yep. You can say right like you can exactly all the people that went to this page and watched at least 75% of this video. Like you can do some really, really, really amazing things on remarket. But to your heart's content, you can pretty much remark it to anything a person is who they are, what they've done, where they, I mean, it, it gets really, really, really great, but that's what remarketing is. And you absolutely need to, I'm so surprised how many people do not run remarketing. When you think about average time lag on any campaign and off the top and it's always like 11 days, 11 days from when they first start their search from when they get, and if you're like, Hey, I'm going to get one click. And if I don't get it, let's see, you know, I'm just going to move on to the next person. Like, no. Yeah, you get one at bad otherwise. <laughs> so I've got I've got a data point to share with our listeners. Our cost per lead at Solutions Aid is four hundred and fifty dollars, which is mm -hmm. pretty significant. Now that's good for our industry, but that's still every time the phone rings, basically, or somebody fills out a form of four hundred and fifty bucks. When you add remarketing, the CPL drops to two hundred and twenty five. It doubles the efficacy of our campaigns. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it makes sense because I mean, there's a lot of ad, ad agency to choose from. Now they they come yeah. to their senses and pick us, but you know, in the meantime, first thing look at. <laughs> They're still looking around for this. <laughs> and remarketing is entirely display-based, right? I mean, it's all display videos. You can do RLSA, I know, but it's it's really just staying in front of people and melting their faces until they click. Yeah, and to get more granular, remarketing could technically be remarketing on display, remarketing on YouTube, remarketing at Discovery, which is things like GSP and the Discovery ads. Um, yeah, but there's the, uh, the theme of it, though, is to show ads to people who have been to your site, did not convert, and then have still interest. And, and then you don't pay unless they click. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which means it's free branding until they click and you want them to click. So it's, I mean, and they're cheap, really cheap, but yeah. like sub 50 cents. You know, if you're not doing anything but remarketing, please at least just build out a robust remarketing campaign. Oh yeah. If you have like ad, if you have like traffic from any other source, bring it back. It's quality. Yeah. 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 All right. So that's campaign number five. Campaign number six, 
man, up until this point, you and I have been bosom buddies and I have been with you in the trenches 100% of the way. <laughs> but freaking display, dude, like how on earth are you going to sell this? I got my leg blown off in that same trench from display campaigns and I don't like it anymore, but it, it works sometimes. It hit and, and win. It's so like, it's just too big a network. It's, I understand how it can work for somebody who has $100,000 a month to spend. And optimize over time, cool. I'll hand that to you. Yeah. That's not most businesses though. How does a small business with with not six-figure ad spend on a monthly basis make display work? So maybe what about like a high five figure? <laughs> All right. So at least we can tell people like, look, if you don't have a lot of money to allow Google to optimize, and it's not that display work doesn't work, it's that display, it's the most expensive thing on the internet, right? The Google display network reaches 90% of all internet users on the planet, 65% of whom are reached on a daily basis. It's everywhere. And Google needs way too much time and money to optimize the display campaign. So if you don't have time and money, don't use display. That's my opinion. John, fight me. No, no, no. Well, here's the thing. You're absolutely right. And Google did that on purpose. So Google basically said, hey, you're not allowed to exclude apps and kids games anymore, just by default. So just, we're going to show you your ad on all those networks. And when you find them in suspect and, and block those from us showing them, we'll finally agree and then show you a different app circuit game that's going to get clicked. And you have to spend a high amount of money, keep excluding the apps and kid games because five-year-old with mom's dad's iPad just loves slamming buttons your parents. It's really funny, but it's those, those, that, that gets agony. So all this really means is that you need to continually, you have to have really good targeting, really good offering of a, of a very low barrier to entry, like lead magnet, some lead in, and then continually daily, almost hourly exclude the networks that you know, you don't want until you start to see it's coming. We actually have a campaign. We brought for $550 cost per acquisition. I just laid down to 125 consistent. It just took two months and like 40 grand to get there. So display is where we'd go if somebody said, oh, I invented a new WizBang widget. Nobody knows about it. We have to build awareness. Exactly. And you have the money to back it up. Yeah. And you have the money to back it up. Yeah. Display scares me. But when I, I've seen it work, we had a client that sells education in the finance space. You know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's unreal what they were being able to produce in display. Mm-hmm. And what was more interesting about it is Google did that optimization for them. Like they didn't even proactively exclude channels like you're talking about. They just said, Google, we want this conversion event. And over time, now they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get here. Right. Over time. Google is delivering a really amazing, really amazing cost record. And for all of our listeners, you have next to Y access, time and ad spend. If the more time you have, the less you have to have an ad spend. If you have to have this done in less time, you need to have a high ad spend. So I think it applies to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good little visual, I think. So we've got our six campaigns, general brand, competitor, DSA, remarketing display, mm-hmm. smart shopping for e-commerce, but we already talked about that. Uh, local is a good campaign type, but it's not applicable enough to include in this conversation. So I think we're going to save that for another episode of what's working now. Yeah. That's uh, the we have our six locations. Correct. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. If you want to know about brick and mortar, just tune in again. We'll, this will, this will become a recurring segment, but if you're running those six campaigns, I mean, gosh, you've covered, I know there are nuances, but you've covered the majority of what needs to happen for a business. Now here's a question that you can't answer, but it's on everybody's mind. How much do I have to spend? start with four or five thousand dollars at a minimum yeah at a minimum that's where you start that's where you dip your toe in those six campaigns to say okay four out of these six are working two out of the six are working three you're gonna you're gonna need to dip your toe here's the thing i know no one in the history of the world will be able to ever tell you which one will work besides brand that one you sure not but you get skip brand but you don't know which one is going to work until you try it and then you're just going to be surprised to find out which one does and it could be display. Fruit got some room. It could be display. <laughs> I wish you would. Come tell me how you did it. Because there's a whole business to be built around there. So struggle with 45 grand. And by the way, y'all, that doesn't, 
That doesn't apply. If you're a personal injury attorney in Los Angeles, you need to start at 50. And even then, I don't know that I'd take you as a client. Like if you're in a hyper competitive ecosystem, the market sets the rate. So don't take this four to five grand as like a ubiquitous truth. But that's, I think we need to offer a general benchmark somewhere. And I think that's a pretty safe benchmark. Yeah, if you ever get bored, go to Google Keyword Planner and type in DUI attorney. Those things are starting for $15 a click in Houston. It's insanity. What are they doing in Houston? Well, they, they, have they, they are probably they really electric. Can you drive? But yeah, that's them Texans like their Lone Star. Have you ever had Lone Star beer? <laughs> well, I just figured they're going to away from everything. They just eventually got caught. Trying to... <laughs> <laughs> it's the sprawl. It's not the alcoholism. <laughs> that's funny, man. We just made, I think Houston's the fourth largest city in the U.S. And we just, we, I love Texans. I just, I just want to say that out loud. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that worked, the cowboy hat. That's right. That's right. And Spurs. Yeah. All right, uh, John, this is awesome, and I really appreciate you. Love that we have a, a Google What's Working Now segment. We're going to be producing quite a bit of these. And uh, y'all, I know we threw a lot at you. I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it because you can go listen to a podcast with a bunch of fluff and dudes talking about things that, you know, are, are them basically trying to pretend they know what they're doing without giving you anything tangible or tactical. We did the opposite. We do this every single day. John is the chief strategist of our company. He oversees 200 accounts on a regular basis, 50 employees. This is where you go if you want to actually know how stuff works. And so if you've got to listen to it again a couple of times, please do. If you've got to share it with, you know, whoever it is that's pushing buttons, please do. If you disagree with us, let us know. Like, hit us up. I, we can always have the opportunity to learn. So if we've said something where you're like, gosh, I, you know, I challenged that or I've had a different opportunity or, you know, I've seen something different. We want to learn from you too. You can always hit me on Twitter. It's at Qasem Aslam, spelled exactly like my name is on the Perpetual Traffic site. If you want the information, the show notes. Go to perpetualtraffic.com. Please subscribe. And if you don't mind, if you've gotten any value from this episode or from, from this show, write us a review. It helps with the algorithm. We get placements. We're trying to be the number one mod marketing podcast on the planet. And uh, that's a really, really important key performance indicator for us. So all that aside, John, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah, and we will see y'all on the next episode of Perpetual Traffic. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.